As we turn the page on another year, many of us take time to reflect on events of the past 12 months. We look at events in our own lives, our families, our friends, and we look at the world around us, considering the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2018. With that in mind, I've curated a collection of some of the best, the worst, the craziest and unexpected in Twisted Philly. What happened in and around the city that made us laugh, made us cry, or made us say what the actual fuck just happened? Some of these tales will be heartfelt, others might seem like a miracle, and before we're done, there will be a few that leave you shaking your head in shame or embarrassment, saying, as we do, only in Philly. I'll have a few friends join me along the way to give you their best or worst of 2018 in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. This episode is rather supersized, so I'm splitting it in two. Part one is a menagerie of the best and worst Philly had to offer in 2018. Part two features a story we thought was one of the best tales born on Philly's mean streets, only to realize it was a giant crock of burned whiz. If you're not local, that's Cheese Whiz, something people put on cheesesteaks. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this twisted journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted, Twisted Philly. Philly. I'm going to start off strong and share what many Philadelphians believe was the best event to hit our city in decades, and that's the Eagles' Super Bowl victory. And the top story for 2018, the Philadelphia Eagles win their first Super Bowl ever, their first championship since 1960, with a couple of home wins in the playoffs where they were the underdogs, and they broke out the underdog masks with Nick Foles at quarterback instead of Carson Wentz. And then they go to the Super Bowl, and with Malcolm Butler inexplicably standing on the sidelines for nearly all of the game for the New England Patriots, made mincemeat of the New England defense, and outscored Tom Brady. Brady and company vaulting Foles and Doug Peterson to the championship and sparking a year-long celebration in Philadelphia, which unfortunately has not translated into a stellar 2018 season, but it doesn't matter. You finally got your Super Bowl trophy. Live it up, Philadelphia. Recently, a listener commented on a Facebook post and said, but Dina, I thought you didn't like football. I do like football. I was just never much of an Eagles fan, and I can't tell you why. Maybe it's because we watched more hockey than football growing up. Certainly the time I spent in New England before my daughter was born was a big factor. I started following the Patriots because I grew to love New England so very much, especially Massachusetts. I toured the Green Monster, I went to Sox games, and I started following New England teams. In 2005, when the Patriots beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl 24-21, I was bummed for the city. But I wasn't personally bummed. I think I felt worse about not feeling disappointed than anything else. I contained my lack of disappointment because I didn't want to get my ass beat by friends and neighbors. But over the last two years, something changed. And maybe it's because of the podcast. 
I've always been a huge Flyers fan. My daughter's been going to games since she was very little. Ice hockey is a favorite in both our house and her dad's, as it was in my house when I was young. I enjoy going to Phillies games. Citizens Bank Park is such a good time. While I used to watch football on Sunday or Monday, always watching the Patriots and the Saints, I started watching the Eagles too. I made a point to tune in whenever the Eagles were on. And last year, I was absolutely swept up in the joy throughout Philadelphia as the Eagles continued winning. Call me a bandwagon fan. I am okay with that because it's not far from the truth. The Eagles Super Bowl win in 2018 was something we may never again see in our lifetime. Another listener commented on that same post and said, people who don't know much about sports shouldn't talk about sports. Admittedly, I don't know as much about football as I do hockey. I haven't educated myself about all of the draft rounds, why particular teams seek out particular players, whether or not those players' strengths complement the team's strengths or fill a particular gap. Nope, I don't know any of that. I just know for the past two years, I have grown to love the Eagles. I still love the Saints, and I still get excited when the Patriots win, as long as it's against other teams. That Super Bowl win last year was one of the most amazing moments in Philadelphia sports. There are families all over the Delaware Valley, even in Jersey and Delaware, who bleed eagle green for generations, and for them, it was magic. The Philly special, the play at the end of the game, was also magic. Nick Foles, whom we affectionately call Saint Nick or Big Dick Nick, I don't know if that's actually true, but that's what we call him, he was the first player in Super Bowl history to throw and catch a touchdown. Think about that. He threw the ball that scored a touchdown and he caught that very same ball. This was our first Super Bowl win in almost 60 years, and the city went nuts. Somehow, we didn't burn the city down. I hate that we have a reputation as fans who would do something like that, but I remember the night the Phillies won the World Series in October 2008. I watched the series-winning game, and as news crews filmed Citizens Bank Park, they captured fans flipping cars and setting them on fire. There were 76 arrests in Philadelphia the night the Phillies won the World Series. Most of those were idiot college kids who thought it was cool to trash the city. So it's not surprising people thought Philly would get stupid again when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. But we didn't. Yeah, people climbed poles, even poles that were covered in grease. But another best of is the fact we didn't tear apart the city after a big sports win. I know, I'm celebrating something that should be common sense, but this is Philly. I think Philly had a fantastic year in 2018. The top of it had to be either the introduction of Gritty or the fact that the Philly fans did not burn down Philadelphia when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Both were amazing events for Philly. I think the worst of Philly is basically the people who started the Kickstarter for the homeless guy that was a complete absolute fraud and a whole hot mess nightmare that we just saw unfold. Good luck into 2019, Philadelphia.
The other amazing event that happened in the city, which is absolutely in the best of category, is the Eagles Super Bowl Parade. I took the day off. Jeremy flew out from Wyoming. That was crazy. I sent him a text a few days before the parade and said, hey, can you come to Philly for the Eagles parade? And sure enough, he did. Jeremy and I, plus my daughter and one of her friends, caught SEPTA early that morning, and it was absolutely insane. There were hundreds of people in line to catch the train. Half of them were drunk, and it wasn't even 7 a.m. yet. We got down to Philly, and we were only about five blocks from City Hall, and you could not move. It was impossible to get around the city. We finally made our way to Love Park and had a great vantage point for the parade once it came by a few hours later, while we stood outside with thousands of other people in 22-degree weather. All you really saw were the players riding the top of buses, waving at everyone. There were massive confetti canisters blowing paper all over the streets. We didn't head to the art museum for the end of the parade. We missed the ceremony and we missed Jason Kelsey leading thousands of fans in a few rounds of No One Likes Us and repeatedly dropping F-bombs on national television. Please welcome All-Pro Center Jason Kelsey! second to talk to you about underdogs. This entire organization is a bunch of driven men to accomplish something. We're a bunch of underdogs. And you know what underdogs is? It's a hungry dog. And Jeff Stalin has had this in our building for five years. It's a quote in the O-line room that has stood on the wall for the last five years. Hungry dogs run fast. And that's this team. wanted it more and that's why we're up here today and that's why we're the first team in Eagles history to hold that freaking trophy you know who the biggest underdog is it's y'all Philadelphia for 52 years y'all have been waiting for this you want to talk about underdog you want to talk about a hungry dog for 52 years you've been starved in this championship Everybody wonders why we're so mean. Everybody wonders why the Philadelphia Eagles aren't the nicest fans. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm fucking pissed off. No one wanted us. No one liked this team. No analysts liked this team to win the Super Bowl. And nobody likes our fans. And you know what? I've just heard one of the best chants this past day. And it's one of my favorite and it's new. And I hope you all learn it. Because I'm about to drop it right now. You know what I gotta say? To all those people that doubted us, to all those people that counted us out, and to everybody who said that we couldn't get it done. What my man Jay and John just said, fuck you!
Some of the worst Philly moments of 2018 were also attributed to Eagles games. Eagles fans have a horrible reputation. When Lincoln Financial Field opened, there was an Eagles jail where fans who misbehaved were immediately taken before a judge and confined in a temporary holding cell if necessary. Flyers fans have had a few unsavory moments over the years, but no one gets as bad a rap as our Eagles fans. Of course, it isn't all Eagles fans. Not everyone who tailgates before a game gets hammered or acts like an idiot. But tailgating is a contributing factor when you consider some fans have been drinking for six hours before game time. During the playoff game against the Falcons on January 13, 2018, 23-year-old Taylor Hendricks from Whitehall Township in Lehigh County, Pennsylvania, was kicked out of the link because he didn't have a ticket. Makes sense. If you didn't pay to see the game, you need to stay outside the arena. But young Taylor didn't agree and he vented his frustration on a police horse. Philadelphia police said Taylor Hicks walked up to a mounted police officer and punched his horse in the face, neck, and shoulder. He also wound up punching the cop repeatedly in the legs. Perhaps if Taylor was from Philadelphia and not Lehigh County, he would have known you do not fuck with Philly PD, especially not their horses. He was charged with taunting a police animal, aggravated assault, simple assault, and defiant trespass. But the city was lenient with Taylor Hendricks. He was given the opportunity to participate in a 12-month accelerated rehabilitative program instead of prison. And if he completes all the requirements of the program, his record will be expunged. Taylor Hendricks wasn't the only fan to take his frustrations out on a police horse. A little over a week later, another Eagles fan was arrested for assaulting a mounted police horse. What? The actual fuck. Taylor Hendricks' arrest was all over the news. So if there was any doubt about what happens when you assault a police animal, it became perfectly clear after Taylor's arrest. On January 22, 2018, before the Eagles-Viking game, which decided our fate for the Super Bowl, 19-year-old Andrew Tornetta from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, was arrested after punching a police horse twice in the shoulder then allegedly punching a cop in the face. Now, there are two very different sides to this story. I'm going to give you the police version first. According to Philadelphia police, at around 3 p.m. that afternoon, a fight broke out in the parking lot at the link. When police tried to break up the fight and get everyone to move on, they claim Andrew Tornetta was aggressive and confrontational. A police officer attempted to grab Andrew by his jacket, but he managed to get away, and that's when he punched the police horse and the officer riding the horse. After that, Andrew Tornetta pulled off his shirt and tried to sneak away in the throng of people moving through the parking lot, but he was spotted and arrested. Why he took off his clothes, no one was sure, but there's a photograph from the time of his arrest at Lincoln Financial Field with a shirtless Andrew Tornetta, arms restrained behind his back, and his face is covered with blood. Philadelphia police charged Andrew Tornetta with aggravated assault, simple assault, taunting a police animal, and reckless endangerment. That was the version of this event told by Philadelphia police. Here's Andrew's version of events. Andrew Tornetta claims there wasn't a fight in the parking lot of the link. He was simply hanging out with other fans. The mounted police approached a group of people and asked them to disperse. Andrew Tornetta claimed he was moving with the crowd when a mounted state police officer grabbed him by his collar and pulled off his shirt. Andrew said he was then hit in the head with police batons by a number of officers, 
forced face down on the ground and restrained while he bled onto the concrete. That is a very different version of events. And as a result, Andrew Tornetta filed a lawsuit against the Philadelphia Police Department and the Eagles on May 30th, 2018. Through the civil docket access of Philadelphia courts, I was able to view the suit filed by Andrew Tornetta and all subsequent motions, filings, and case updates over the last seven months. Initially, when I thought about the two guys who punched Philadelphia Mounted Police horses, I thought two drunken idiots got arrested for acting like idiots. But in the case of Andrew Tornetta, there may be more to his story than we initially realized. His complaint named multiple defendants. Pennsylvania State Trooper Wesley Van Wick, Philadelphia Police Officer Paul Tinney, the Philadelphia Eagles LLC, plus the Eagles Limited Partnership, the stadium operator, the Philadelphia Phillies because they manage the land where the sports complex sits, including parking lot M, where the alleged assault on Tornetta occurred. He also included Spectrum Arena and Spectacor, two other companies that manage the land used for parking at all of the Philly sports complexes. Andrew Tornetta's complaint provides even more detail than I already shared. The complaint alleges, and this is a direct quote, that suddenly and without warning, Van Wick reached down with his right hand from his position on horseback, gripped the collar of the apparel of the plaintiff, Andrew Tornetta, and continued to advance on horseback in a forward motion which dragged Andrew along the right side of his horse. This caused Andrew's jacket and two additional garments, likely a sweatshirt and a t-shirt, to be pulled up over his head, obstruct his vision, and bind his arms. He was thrown off balance. He repeatedly fell to the ground while trying to prevent his clothing from being pulled off. Andrew Tornetic that a third officer approached the scene and repeatedly hit him with a police baton on his upper torso. He broke away from the police officers and then was grabbed by security personnel, restrained with his arms behind his back, while Philadelphia police officer Paul Tinney hit him repeatedly with his baton in the head and the face. This is what caused the facial bleeding we saw in the photos and videos on local Philadelphia news and on social media. Andrew Tornetta said two plainclothes officers then forced him face down on the parking lot. His hands were zip tied behind his back and he was taken into police custody. He was put in a holding cell at the link, but he was only there a short time because Philadelphia police took Andrew Tornetta to the nearest hospital where he was treated for his injuries before he was taken to police district South Detective Station and held there overnight. Andrew's complaint further alleges that the police officers gave false and misleading testimony to an investigative officer about Andrew's behavior that afternoon. This includes unsubstantiated claims that Andrew hit the horse and that he punched Trooper Van Wick in the face. In his lawsuit, Andrew Tornetta requested compensatory damages and punitive damages, attorney's fees, court costs, and any other relief the court deems appropriate. It was also stated this would not go to arbitration, but required a trial. I found that very interesting. I didn't realize a plaintiff could demand a trial. Tornetta accused both Van Wick and Tinney of assault and battery, false imprisonment, defamation, and malicious prosecution. He accused the Eagles, the Phillies, and other companies of negligent hiring and supervision, failure to control conduct of servants, and vicarious liability. I bet you weren't expecting all of that from a guy who was arrested for punching a mounted police officer's horse. I wasn't either, because it's not hard to believe a drunk Eagles fan would punch a horse. I wish it was, but sadly, it's not. 
No one was all that surprised with the first guy who did it the week before, and we weren't that surprised when it happened again. Speaking for myself, I took it as fact that Andrew Tornetta punched a police horse. I figured it was just another crazy Eagles fan trying to spoil it for everyone else, and one more tale to make us look like psychos to the rest of the country. But that may not be what happened. In late June 2018, Andrew voluntarily discontinued the action against the Philadelphia Eagles and its subsidiary companies. According to court documents filed by the Eagles on June 19th, the security guard Andrew mentioned in his complaint, who he believed aided in his false imprisonment, was not employed by the Eagles, and therefore there was no reason for Andrew Tornetta to take action against the Eagles and its subsidiaries. In September 2018, both Officer Van Wick and Officer Tinney objected to two accounts in Andrew's complaint. Their objection to Andrew Tornetta's accusations of defamation were overruled, but their objection to his accusations of malicious prosecution were sustained. So what does this all mean? The judge denied their objection to the defamation complaint, but he agreed with their objection about malicious prosecution. And while I don't know this is the reason, much of the language in both sections of those complaints are very similar. So that's where this sits for now. Andrew Tornetta is seeking at least $50,000 in damages. The Eagles and their subsidiaries are no longer defendants, and there are disputes over the alleged counts in the complaint. There is one particular photograph that made the rounds on Philly news websites and social media. I'll post it on Twisted Philly social media so you can take a look if you haven't seen it. It's a photo of Andrew Tornetta naked from the waist up. He's wedged between two police horses. One officer is pulling his right arm up and another officer is bent over his horse with his arms hidden between both horses, but it looks as if he's grabbing Andrew by the head. Although you can't actually tell, that's how it looks to me. There are two other mounted police officers just inches from this scene. And the question this photograph brings to mind is, do you really need four mounted cops to deal with one unruly teenager? Andrew claims he wasn't unruly. Maybe he wasn't, or maybe he was a little defiant and someone got pissed off and took it too far. Based on everything I read in Andrew Tornetta's complaint and dozens of other court documents related to this case, that photo supports Andrew's telling of this event, not the version told by the police. Okay, one more story related to the Eagles, and this one will be short because it's disgusting. And it's absolutely one of, if not the worst events in Philly in 2018. An Eagles fan ate horseshit. He did it on camera. There are pictures on the internet if you want to find them. And I am not telling you anything else about this other than it happened because it's one of the most disgusting stories I've ever heard. It's disgusting. What is up, Twisters? This is Jeffrey Mitchell, and I wanted to give my Philly best and worst of 2018. Let's start with the best, possibly the best thing to happen to Philly since 1776. The Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. We are world fucking champions. Finally. Finally. It's the greatest. And then to change gears for the worst, the Philly homicide rate is the highest it's been in, I think, six or seven years. 351 people murdered, over 1,000 people shot in Philadelphia in 2018. 
We need to get our shit together, Philly. This is the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Let's change things for the better and have a great new year and make 2019 even better than 2018. Happy New Year, Twisters. Ciao for now. On September 24th, 2018, an orange monstrosity burst onto the Philadelphia sports scene. His name is Gritty, and he's been called everything from a Muppet on acid to an embarrassment. At least he was called all sorts of names until the rest of the world came for him. Then he instantly charmed the heart of every Flyers fan, including mine. And with words like pure nightmare and horrifying, the Flyers' new mascot is certainly drawing mixed reactions from fans here in Philadelphia and across the country. The team introduced this guy here, Gritty, at the Police Touch Museum yesterday. Shockingly, children there cheered on the new seven-foot orange fuzzy creature. Gritty then made quite a memorable debut during a Flyers preseason game. There you go. He slipped and fell. As you can see, uh, he's a little clumsy, I guess, but he's making the best of it. Now, Twitter users blasted the character's debut with comments like, good luck sleeping tonight, Flyers fans, and comparisons to horror movie villains. Gritty is on social media, too. He tweeted last night, good night, Internet, with a picture of him uh, shooting from a squirt bottle, spoofing the famous Kim Kardashian magazine cover. Throughout the day, the mascot's humor seemed to grow on some fans, though, especially with parents who say he is a hit with the kids. I've not met those kids yet, but either way, it's good news for the Flyers. Gritty is creating a buzz for the team across the country. When I first saw this hairy orange blob with googly eyes, I was pissed. Why not a bull in honor of the Broad Street Bullies, our beloved Flyers from the 70s, who won Stanley Cup championships and beat the crap out of opposing teams on the ice. But when people from outside the Philadelphia area started making fun of Gritty, that was it. He suddenly became cuter and more appealing. A few minutes after Gritty's first tweet, the Pittsburgh Penguins tweeted, LOL, okay, to which Gritty replied, sleep with one eye open, bird. This Muppet has teeth! Gritty was savage, and in a split second, everybody loved him. According to the Flyers, Gritty lived in a secret hideout in the Wells Fargo Center where the Flyers play, and only appeared in public when construction at the center forced him out of his hidey hole. This made me think of a hairy orange version of the Phantom of the Opera, sneaking out for games, lurking in dark corners behind the highest row in the Wells Fargo Center, so he could watch his beloved Flyers. Gritty has his own Twitter account and released baby photos with those cute little signs we see with human babies when they're a few months old. Big Gay Ice Cream on South Street made a Gritty Puckster ice cream sandwich in his honor. His crazy orange visage adorned many protest signs over the last few months at numerous events in Philadelphia. When Donald Trump visited Philly on October 2nd to speak with the National Electrical Contractors Association, the gritty protest signs were out in full force. One said, this town only has room for one orange asshole. Another group of protesters carried a huge banner that read, Gritty says GTFO of Philly. Suddenly, Gritty was the face of the resistance. Now, whether or not you agree with that resistance, I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to ask you to pick a side. 
I do, however, think it's pretty flippin' funny that just a few weeks before that event, the city couldn't stand the latest mascot to join the ranks of the Philly Fanatic and Swoop. Yet here we are, sharing gritty memes, gritty gifts, there are gritty bobbleheads, even one that is life-size. People have gotten gritty tattoos. That is some serious commitment. I have yet to see the NHL release a gritty plush. I'm sure they're coming. I'm shocked they weren't available on day one. Maybe they were and I missed them. Regardless of available merchandise, people are finding ways to show their black and orange pride with this crazy creature that looks like something out of one of Jim Henson's nightmares. If I didn't already say it, Gritty was one of the bests of 2018. And no, this episode is not all about sports. So let's move on to one of Philadelphia's other greatest passions, food. On December 10th, 2017, the South Philly Review ran a story about a chef named Michael DePasquale. Michael was a chef and restaurateur from Maryland, where he ran a pub in Essex, then opened his own pizza joint called Fat Pug Coal-Fired Pizza in 2006. In a Baltimore Sun article just a year later, DePasquale said he named the restaurant after his three pugs who were fat and loved to eat. So why am I talking to you about a Maryland chef? Well, because DePasquale currently lives in South Philadelphia, and in his interview with the South Philly Review, he said he and good friend Anthony Bourdain planned to open a New York-style deli and cheesecake shop in South Philadelphia. DePasquale told a South Philly Review reporter he met Bourdain in 2016, when Anthony Bourdain visited a pastry shop in the East Village that sold DePasquale's desserts. Michael DePasquale claimed Bourdain was floored by his cheesecake. That is a direct quote. And an instant friendship was born, which included the two sitting up till all hours of the night discussing ideas for restaurant ventures. In that article, DePasquale said, We were just getting to know each other more and more. He loved me and I loved him, you know, just the man that he is. He's just so down to earth and loves to talk about his passion for food and is just a true advocate for the people out there, everywhere, all over the world. This is a man who could walk into any country, no matter how hostile it is, and he's welcome with open arms. That was just his nature and I loved it. Michael DePasquale claimed it was Anthony Bourdain's idea to open the deli in South Philadelphia. And after his passing, DePasquale was more committed than ever to open the restaurant as part of Anthony Bourdain's legacy. The interview then took what I thought was a strange turn when DePasquale opened up about personally investigating Anthony Bourdain's death. He claimed to have support from the FBI on this investigation and said he felt that things just didn't add up. That wasn't the only tidbit that was strange about this interview with Michael DePasquale, a man who called himself a celebrity chef and claimed to be a United States culinary ambassador. Two days after that story ran in the South Philly Review, Philadelphia Magazine reporter Victor Fiorillo started asking around about this famed chef, a famed chef who was seemingly unknown around the Philadelphia food scene. Think about it. Anthony Bourdain decides to open a New York-style cheesecake and deli in Philadelphia. That sounds a little less than plausible. And he's going to do it with someone who has no stake in Philadelphia. That really doesn't make sense. Apparently, it made sense to Michael DePasquale, and he stuck to that story when Victor Fiorillo interviewed him late last year. DePasquale offered vague responses to most of Fiorillo's questions, especially about his restaurant venture with Bourdain and his military career. DePasquale talked about serving as a Marine in Afghanistan and Iraq. He claimed he was also deployed in Kosovo and Albania. 
Victor Fiorillo spoke with the press office of the United States Marine Corps, and they confirmed there was no record of Michael DePasquale having ever served with the Marines. DePasquale claimed he cooked for the Obamas and was appointed a U.S. culinary ambassador by President Trump. None of these claims were believable, yet the South Philly Review ran a feature on this man, a feature that was completely debunked by Philadelphia Magazine within 48 hours. And at the heart of this story was DePasquale's claims of his beloved friendship with Anthony Bourdain. This story may not have gotten the airtime that kids punching police horses did, but I think it's definitely one of the worst to come out of our city in 2018. This man used Anthony Bourdain's name after his death in what I believe was an attempt to resurrect a failing career. And what can Anthony Bourdain do about it? Nothing. He's not here to confirm nor deny anything that DePasquale said. Maybe that's why DePasquale thought he could get away with it. After Victor Fiorillo's story and interview with DePasquale was published on December 12th, the South Philly Review took down the feature they'd published two days earlier. Fiorillo continued to investigate Michael DePasquale and uncovered other claims, like his statements to the South Philly Review that he was a Baltimore cop after leaving the Marines. Well, turned out that was a lie. According to Victor Fiorillo in a follow-up piece, the Baltimore Police Department confirmed he was a community service officer for about two months. But that's not a cop. It's a volunteer position. You're not armed, you can't arrest anyone, nor are you on the payroll of the police department. I'm a big fan of Victor Fiorillo's reporting. If you listened to the live show from October 2017, I told the story of a man affectionately called the Swiss cheese fucker, Norristown resident Chris Pagano, who approached women in his car in Northeast Philadelphia with a piece of Swiss cheese covering his junk. Victor Fiorillo was the reporter who knocked on Pagano's door and told him, I think you're the guy with the cheese that the police are looking for. I have a feeling Fiorillo will uncover more falsehoods about Michael DePasquale. I don't know if they matter other than to further solidify this guy is a lying piece of trash. Anyone who would capitalize on someone's suicide is a degenerate scumbag. No, that wasn't very eloquent, but this man doesn't deserve eloquence. South Philadelphia resident Michael DePasquale falls squarely in the worst of column for Philly in 2018. What began as a bad news story in Philly this year, but had a much happier ending, occurred on April 12, 2018, when two black men were arrested at a Starbucks cafe in Rittenhouse Square, one of the most affluent neighborhoods in the city. And they were arrested for doing nothing. Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson sat at a Starbucks at the corner of 18th and Spruce Streets, waiting for another man to arrive for a business meeting. That is exactly the same thing I've done at numerous Starbucks in Philly and the Burbs. Dante and Rashawn didn't order anything when they arrived. Instead, they preferred to wait and order when the last member of their party, Philadelphia businessman Andrew Yaffe, showed up. That is also something I've done and do on a frequent basis. If I'm meeting someone at a restaurant or a coffee shop, I don't order until the person I'm meeting arrives. These two gentlemen sat for a few minutes, and while they waited for the third member of their party, Dante Robinson asked to use the bathroom. He was told he couldn't because he wasn't a paying customer. 
Okay, but he would soon be a paying customer once the third member of his party arrived and they all ordered together. Then after a few more minutes, the manager asked Dante and Rashan if they needed assistance. No, they didn't. They were quietly waiting for a third person. Shortly after that interaction, Philadelphia police showed up. That's because the manager called 911 and told the police these men were trespassers. So many people have been in that same situation, waiting at a Starbucks for a friend or colleague to show up, needing to use the restroom while we wait, and not being given a second thought when we ask for the code or the key. Why? Because we're white. Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson are black. These men were arrested, handcuffed, ushered out of Starbucks by police, and taken to a nearby police station. Starbucks didn't press charges, so they were released, but their arrest was captured on video by another customer. In this video, you can hear the woman filming, frantically telling police these men didn't do anything wrong. They weren't trespassing. They were simply waiting for someone who showed up within a few seconds after the police. You can hear their associate, Andrew Yaffe, go through the exact same conversation with the police, and none of it did any good. Even if you're not local, you probably saw this story on the news if you live in the United States. It made national news and was all over social media. Philadelphia Mayor Kinney said this incident exemplified what racial discrimination looks like in 2018. Just a few days after their arrest, Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson met with Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson, and the three discussed what the company could do to address racial discrimination. You probably know what happened next. Starbucks closed every store, over 8,000 locations on May 29th for a half-day training in unconscious bias. Starbucks wasn't the only party in the wrong in this situation. The Philadelphia police never should have arrested these men. In a report released in October by the Police Advisory Commission, a racial bias was believed to be the contributing factor in the arrests of Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson. In an interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer on October 15th, Hans Manos, executive director of the commission, said the goal for us was to help everyone understand that issues can be nuanced and tinged with race or affected by race and racism. The police department often is the person at the front lines of all of our issues, so it's imperative or incumbent upon them to understand that and combat that. According to the commission's findings, Philadelphia police departments would benefit from anti-racist training, especially training that covers systemic racism as a contributing factor of unconscious bias. Robinson and Nelson could have sued the city of Philadelphia, and they didn't. Instead, they settled with the city for $1 and a commitment the city will provide close to a quarter million dollars in grant money to establish a program for Philadelphia high school students who want to become entrepreneurs like Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson. Together with the city, these men will develop a grant committee to determine the process for awarding scholarships. Something that really bothered me when the arrests happened were people who said, oh, you don't know what happened, though. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what they did before they were arrested. Yes, we did. We had Dante and Rashan's own words telling us what happened. But for some people, that wasn't nearly enough. So you had the word of the other people in Starbucks. That still wasn't enough. So then you had a video, footage filmed by other people in Starbucks, standing up for Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson, telling the staff and the police, this was bullshit. These men didn't do anything wrong. They sat and waited for a few minutes for a friend before placing an order. 
And for some people, that still wasn't enough. And that is a definition of racial bias. For a good story with a not-so-happy ending, we head to North Philly, where in July, party promoter Davy Brown brought the Jersey Shore to a vacant lot and created the new beach club in an area of the city called Swamp Poodle. Brown, along with partners Ron Jones and Chris Knight, hauled in three truckloads of sand. They installed above-ground pools, wood decking, beach chairs, umbrellas, and opened a beach in North Philly. On opening night, they charged $15 per person for gentlemen, but ladies who showed up in their bathing suits before 10 p.m. were granted entrance for free. Yeah, you can just imagine how I feel about that. The new beach club was BYOB, but we don't allow open containers in Pennsylvania, so that could have been somewhat problematic. For those who had a chance to enjoy the new beach club in North Philly, it was a summer vacation fantasy. The developers expected residents might rent the space for block parties or family reunions. Plus, they thought it could serve as a getaway for neighbors who might not be able to afford a summer vacation. From the photos I saw online, it looked terrific. I'll share some on the Twisted Philly social media pages because Davy Brown, Ron Jones, and Chris Knight did a fantastic job creating an oasis in a parking lot adjacent to Chris's auto repair shop. Sadly, before anyone had a chance to wash the sand from between their toes, New Beach Club was shut down. Chris wasn't the property owner. He owned the auto body shop, but the space where he set up the inner city beach club was leased from a man named Ray Murphy, and Ray received complaints after the opening night party. Chris Knight never got permits from the city, nor did he get permission from Murphy to turn the parking lot into a party venue. The team who created New Beach Club spent about $15,000 of their own money to create something seriously cool for their community. In an interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer, property owner Ray Murphy did acknowledge the positive experience Knight, Brown, and Jones tried to create for the residents of the Swamp Poodle neighborhood. But he said it was a logistical nightmare. There were too many people opening night. The location made it terribly difficult to access. It seemed like he took the position he didn't want to shut it down, but without approval from the city, it would have gotten shut down anyway. Philly is filled with pop-up beer gardens, pop-up parks and green spaces, all spring and summer long. So a pop-up beach is not out of the realm of possibilities. I guess provided you get the right approvals before dumping the sand. Hey, this is Jeremy Collins of the podcast We Listen To podcast. I think, to me, the coolest thing that happened for Philly in 2018 was, without a doubt, the Eagles winning a Super Bowl. That, I mean, come on. That was pretty amazing, seeing how hyped the city got and getting to come out to see the Super Bowl parade was pretty awesome, too. For me, I think the coolest Philly-related moment was probably on July 1st when I pulled up outside of your place, Dina Marie, because I was moving in with you and seeing your face, seeing how my little hard shell M&M 
with her gooey inside, started getting all choked up and crying because I was moving in with you. That was pretty amazing, too. And another very fun event was going to the Union game with father of Ben himself, Jeffrey Mitchell. It was really cool to meet him and his kid and his wife. All three are just phenomenal people, and I consider them good friends now. Philly has been just amazing for me. Everybody I have met has been very welcoming, very accepting. I've had some incredible experiences, and living with you, Dina Marie, has been one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Not only do I get to live with this beautiful, intelligent, creative person, but I also get to feel like I'm living in an episode of Twisted Philly, because all of those things that you talk about, all the places to visit and all that, not the killing people part, obviously, but the places that we get to visit, the places that we get to see, the things that we get to do, all those things you talk about, we actually do those things. And you are the most amazing tour guide that there is for this city. And I think people are missing out by not getting to experience that for themselves. So I'm a very lucky man in that regard. And I can't thank you enough for letting me be a part of your life. On Wednesday, May 30th, one of the most traveled highways in and out of Philadelphia was shut down for hours while Philadelphia police tried to apprehend four escapees. No, these weren't hardened criminals. They were peacocks that wander the Philadelphia Zoo, which sits in West Philadelphia not far from the Schuylkill Expressway. The zoo peacocks are not in an enclosure. They are free to wander the zoo, spreading their turquoise plumes for everyone to see up close and personal. I've always wondered how the zoo prevents the peacocks from escaping. There are large fences and masonry walls around the perimeter of the zoo, but there are certainly opportunities for these birds to sneak out through gates and other spaces that are frequently opened and closed while the zoo welcomes visitors. On this particular day, four peacocks from the flock at the zoo managed to escape, and of all the places they could have explored, they wound up on one of the worst highways in the area. We watched live footage of a barrier the police set up with their cars. They had two of the peacocks secured between their cars and the cement barriers along the edge of the highway. And just when it looked like a rescue was imminent, these fucking birds flew the coop. I was shook. I didn't realize peacocks could fly. And I feel infinitely stupid admitting that. But we're family, so I'm going to tell you guys the truth. I screamed when I saw those birds fly high above the highway off into the trees. Three of the four escaped peacocks were eventually found. Sadly, one was killed on the highway. While the peacocks sometimes venture outside the zoo, zoo staff said they always return home and they'd never ventured this far away before. But the escaped peacocks weren't the only big news at the Philadelphia Zoo in 2018. On June 10th, Proud parents, Stella and Gus, welcomed a new addition to their giraffe family. Baby Bo, who was five foot seven the day he was born. I'm five foot seven. And he's freaking adorable. I've obsessed over videos of him for the last six months, 
watching him run and jump and dance as if he has no idea how his legs work. Yes, I also thought the giraffe cam the world followed obsessively was the same baby giraffe watch for Bo. I totally got that one wrong. But sometimes, I guess, I think the entire world revolves around Philly. And on that note, we'll pause our tales of joy and pain as we transition to part two. In this episode, I was joined by a few friends sharing their best or worst of Philly from 2018. I'd like to thank Kathy, Jeffrey, and Jeremy for taking the time to record a little something for this episode. I didn't listen to Jeremy's recording until I edited this episode, and he made me promise before I listened not to take anything out. If I hadn't made that promise, I might have edited his a bit more. But a promise is a promise. Okay, now go back into your podcatcher and start part two. Or wait a little while. It's presumptuous of me to assume you have the time to listen to two episodes back to back. Whenever you return, I'll be here waiting to tell you one more story from the best and worst of 2018 in Twisted Philly.